Okay, so I know online, right, these days there are like tons and tons of Instagram pages, all sorts of ads and all sorts of programs out there trying to get your attention and trying to talk about one thing, which is how to invest. As an avid stock picker and to the guy that gave me one star on Apple Podcasts, yeah, someone gave me one star review, I'm going to share with you three qualitative points to help you level up your stock picking game. Yeah, and... But anyway, yes, welcome back to the Financial Coconut. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about stock picking. We're going to share with you three qualitative points that I look at before deciding which stocks to pick. Is stock picking an art or is it a science, right? So that is the endless question. And I believe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, very, very cordial answer. But it is true. Some things, you know, you can qualify. Some things you can't qualify. And that is the inevitability of investing, right? Because humans are humans. They always make interesting things, interesting moves. Some things you think are your Celia or no choice. But suddenly there's a turnaround and things happen. So yes, today I'm going to share with you uh, three qualitative points that I look at, you know, when picking stocks. And whether you pick stocks yourself, I think these are good things to learn because it gives you much clearer understanding of, you know, what you're actually investing, right? Like, even if you invest in ETFs, even if you invest in... I don't know, what else do you invest in? Robo-advices or even if, you know, you want to buy some unit trust. I don't know why, but if you want to buy some unit trust, uh, most of them have underlying, you know, stocks and equities within them, right? And if you can spend a little bit of time to go and read up on these guys, just get a better understanding of what they do, why they do what they do, and get a clearer picture. It may help you in your investment journey, picking your even picking your own ETFs or just being more comfortable with what you are investing because underlying most of them, they are stocks, bonds, gold, you know, you get it, right? These are fundamental products, right? In, in terms of investing, and to that one guy that gave me one star on Apple Podcast, um, yeah, it's it's um, wow, wow, one star, But anyway, yes. So I think he had some problems with uh, one of my earlier podcasts, which I talk about uh, also about stock picking, about investing. And one of my main pointers that I presented was this element of luck. And the reality is, I stand by this point. If you cannot handle that investing has some element of luck. Right, you will probably never be a good investor. It's because that you can comprehend that there are things that you cannot control, and that is, you know, in the broad, you know, scheme of you know, broad umbrella of luck as a concept. 
Uh, that is when you know how to size your bets, you know how to hedge, and you become a better investor. If you believe that everything can be calculated, everything can be controlled, then you live in a simulation. Like, you don't live in the real world. So yes, to whoever that gave me that one star, thank you. Um, you got a shout out. <laughs> and for everyone that has given us good reviews and continue to support us, we welcome you back on another episode. Thank you for continued support. And today we're going to you know, dig deeper and embrace all these kind of uncertain elements which are mostly qualitative because a lot of times quantitative pointers like matrices like like you know things to calculate it's it's at the forefront right a lot of people look at those things and i think that is a fair start to look at revenue to look at you know cash flow look at all those things that are in the balance sheet can calculate you know, those things are a good start, right? Because those things are your hard matrices, like, essentially, right? You, you don't lie. Of course, some of them do, like, but that's the role of auditor, okay? Anyway, uh, those are easy things because um, when it comes to quantitative stuff, there is there are hard lines, right? Like you only take something at 5%, you only blah, blah, blah. You know, you set all these different matrices that, that you're comfortable with that fits your investment strategy and you follow them, right? Most people do that. But when it comes to qualitative, right, which is what we're going to talk about, right, it means they got no numbers, right? It's a lot of few, few, your understanding of the sector, understanding of the market, understanding of all these different matrices, then it becomes a little bit more complex. Also, I'm not saying that after listening to 20 minutes of a podcast, you can suddenly comprehend all these qualitative factors. In fact, I think every one of them requires a podcast on their own. <laughs> But I decided that we were going to start somewhere. We're just going to make it easy. And uh, I'm going to give you all these different pointers that you may need to continue to do some of research on your own. Right? Just going to read up. Okay, The goal of today's podcast is to give you a place to start. After you know these things, after you recognize these things, you can continue your reading, continue to learn, and continue to find your comfortable way of investing. So the very, very, very first qualitative point that I always look at when I invest is who is managing it, the management. Okay, um, they say, right, tough times don't last, tough people do. And in some way, it is true. There are many, many um, very amazing management that can turn around problems, turn around things and double down on growth opportunities. So management, right? Everybody have their own preference. I right? must like choosing your boyfriend, girlfriend. Everybody have their own things that they like. So I'm not going to go into, you know, um, too much about the likability factor. Like, you know, the way they talk, the way they present, you know, all those kind of things. Depending on your own way of life, your own preferences, you have your own views, right? So some people may like the person that is drilling holes under the ground and sending rocket ship and then, you know, trying to build some electronic vehicle stuff and his share price going up, up, up. Everybody is buying it and some people like him, some people don't. I just happen to fall under the other camp. But I'm not going to go into all the, you know, the way he talks, the way he speaks or the way he or she, you know, does blah, blah, blah. You know, those are um, a, a lot more personal. But I would think there are some factors when you look at management, right? So management would include people like your CEO, your CFO, your COO, your CTO, right? At least these few guys, right? So finance, operation and technical, right? All your IT is very important these days. So you definitely have to look at all these four of the management and a few questions I'm going to give you that will help you to 
evaluate, you know, to build your basic evaluation structure for the management. And one of which is, uh, is this company led by founders? Right. So it is very important that uh, you recognize whether a company is led by a founder, right? Because I think when something is led by a founder, there is personal you know, interest beyond just monetary, right? There's a lot of actualization, um, you know, other goals that are on top of just you know, making money or just another job, right? So uh, founder-led businesses tend to be a lot more aggressive in terms of growth. They are more passionate about what they are trying to do. So that's that. But recognize that sometimes founders are not able to take the business to another level, right? Not everybody can be like uh, Zuckerberg, right? From Silicon Valley, you know, Harvard dropout, blah, 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 all the way to managing a huge-ass company with all these kind of PR issues of today, right? So some founders cannot transit and it's okay. You just recognize it and, you know, most of the time they will move on and pass the baton if they cannot transit. But for those that can transit, there is a lot of power in terms of being flat by the founder, the passion, the drive to make it work beyond just monetary success is very powerful. So always interesting to invest in a company that is led by a team of founders. Other things to look at would definitely be whether do they have relevant experiences, right? So things like have they been in the same sector have they managed a company of a similar scale or if let's say the company is trying to go into a whole new thing like Starbucks trying to go towards a whole IT focused kind of business with digital payments your reward system and all those kind of more techy techy stuff that was when Howard Schultz stepped down he pushed for the new CEO, Kevin Johnson, which was a tequila from Microsoft, right? So everyone was like, why do you use this guy? But if you think about it, it's aligned with what Starbucks was trying to go towards, digital payment, on-demand delivery, you know, reward system, and all those things are heavy, heavy tech stuff. So then you bring a tech guy to lead the business that gives them the insight and the power. So yes, relevant experience, important, right? Whether is it relevant to where the company is or where the company is trying to head towards, I think at the top management, these few guys need to have relevant understanding of which sector, which growth opportunity they're trying to capitalize. Okay, and of course, um, I think one of the other pointers that you can look at when excessive, when assessing a management is are they consistently meeting their goals? Every year, they will release you know, their annual report and based on the annual report, they will tell you some of their goals, whether it's a mid-term, long-term or you know, even goals for this year. And the next year, they'll publish again and then you can you know, kind of see whether are they meeting those goals. And I tend to like management that are able to consistently meet goals or you know, even supersede their goals. Because then that gives me comfort to know that whatever the management say, they will do it, right? And it's not just say because, you know, for the sake of saying, lah, or they overhype their goals or overhype their capacity. And we, I personally want to have the kind of comfort to know that I can trust the management, that they always meet their goals. So these are some things that you can definitely consider when understanding the management. And to end off the discussion on management, I think that's one thing that we all can um, better understand is that if a company is struggling, right, that means they have consistently struggled for a few years. It's not like a COVID, then something happened. Is their business is getting challenged again and again and again. And we're still using the same management, still using the same ideas, and it's not turning around. It's not happening. Chances of it turning around and getting the business growing again and making it, you know, strong and powerful again, it's uh, close to zero lah. 
same bunch of people managing the same way with the same strategy. What do we expect, right? So every time when a company is not doing well or uh, for they have experienced extended prolonged kind of regression, I always want to see a change in management, at least a few of them at the top. So point number two that I think it's very important in terms of a qualitative understanding is the understanding of business modes or some call economic modes, right? So if you understand these modes, you get a clearer understanding what is this, the value of the business beyond just how much money they are producing. And we will talk about these things after a word from our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so what is a business mode or some call an economic mode? Essentially, it is a protection around the business, right? Essentially, what is a mode, right? The river around the castle, right? So when you say something has a business mode or has a strong business mode, that means the business has certain elements that give it that, you know, edge above its competitors, its resilience and its, you know, sustained kind of business strength. So in simpler terms, when we say something has a business mode, a company has a business mode, essentially that means they have a certain advantage over its competitors. Today, I'm going to share with you some common business modes that you can use to benchmark against the stock or the company that you're trying to pick. Of course, along the way, as markets develop, as businesses develop, there are more and more different kinds of modes. But these are some fundamentals that have been around for a really long time. And the first business mode is, of course, pricing power, right? If a company has a very strong brand or he has certain patent, you know, it's unique, it has its strength, then it can continue to charge very decent prices, right? Which is what we call pricing power. If something becomes like a commodity, like Wi-Fi today, right? It's a commodity. There's no more pricing power, right? Or like airlines, there's no pricing power because... The reality is wherever cheaper you go, which one, right? So you want to go for things that have pricing power and can continue to charge a decent price. And that usually hinges on them having a patent or being a very unique provider in the space. They're the only one or the only few or they have a very strong brand that allows them to price something like Apple or something like Nike. They can take things that supposedly, you know, other people can also produce but because they have a certain brand, they can price and they can charge, right? So you want companies with good pricing power. The next will be what we call brand loyalty. And there can be many reasons why someone is loyal to a brand. It can be because of high switching costs and you know, something like Apple, right? If you use everything Apple and then now you want to switch to Android, so Ma Juan, right? Or it can be just because they find a lot of comfort and the brand quality. Like say, every time you think of bubble tea, you think of Gong Cha, right? You go to Gong Cha, okay, maybe you, you're Koi fan, whatever, okay? But... 101 reasons why people are loyal to a certain brand, but we want to observe that the brand, the company, uh, has the kind of brand loyalty of its audience where people keep using what they are actually selling, right? That's important. Which brings us to the next business mode, that is economies of scale. Essentially means that if a company is big enough, they can produce more at a cheaper rate. 
So if they can produce cheaper than their competitors, you know, they can essentially charge lower and be more dominant in the game, right? Or they can have higher margin, make more profit and, you know, essentially have more margins to play with. So that's important, which is why the big businesses can continue to be bigger uh, on many, many levels because one of these main things is they just produce cheaper than other people, ah. And that definitely is a very important business mode. And the next business mode is this thing called network effect, right? So essentially, network effect is where more people use it, more people want to use it, right? Something like Facebook. Imagine you... <laughs> I'm sure some people want to use WeChat, right? Because China is a thing now. But then you have no other friends using WeChat. You sign up for WeChat just to talk to their two friends. After a while, you just stop using it. Much like how I started using Telegram. But over time, as more and more of you guys are on Telegram and then we chat more on Telegram, I, I just you know feel more inclined to use Telegram. And that's the power of network effect. When more people use it, others want to use it. I'm not sure if you remember the beginning of PayLa. You know, when me and my friends, a few of us, because we, we live abroad before, we live in China before, right? So then when we came back, we were like, hey, there's this PayLa thing, very similar to WeChat Pay, so we wanted to use it. But when we, as we use it, we realized, oh, yo, cannot use it. Nobody is using PayLa. Who to pay to? Merchants are not taking it. Your friends are not there. You know, nobody is using PayLa. So who are you trying to pay? But over time, right? Over time, as more and more people use PayLa, also because this COVID thing, right? People try to be more hygienic and more um, hawkers are open to PayLa and, and whatnot. It became uh, a bigger, bigger network effect, right? Everybody can use PayLa. You can use PayLa everywhere now. It becomes a predominant way of payment. And nowadays, PayLa is a thing, right? And for another company to come in to challenge this network effect, then they got to have a bigger network than in Pela, right? So that's why uh, in the in the view of Pela, they, they have some dominance in the, in the game, right? Because they have this business mode of network effect. So of course, there are many, many different business modes. I gave you some of these so that you can go and Google and learn and search more about pricing power, brand loyalty, economies of scale and network effects so that you can learn. And that forms your basis of discussion. Of course, the, um, business modes are always evolving, always have new stuff. So if you have other things that you find as a business mode, definitely share them with us on our community Telegram group. One of these like new edgy you know, business modes is what people call big data. And a simple way to talk about big data essentially is you having information about your customer. So if you have more information about your customer, then you can better provide them the service and the product that they are looking for, right? Of course, there are many other uses of big data and it's becoming a thing and more and more people are looking at it from a business mode viewpoint. Whatever it is, fundamentally, you want to make sure that the business that you are buying have some of these business modes. And if they don't, then um, you got to question yourself, why are you getting them, right? Is it because that they are going to ultimately have these business modes and they are growing really fast or what is going on, right? You have to evaluate for yourself. And that sums up point number two. The last point today about the three qualitative factors in stock picking would be what I call the scalability factor, okay? Of course, it depends on what is your investment strategy, what are you looking for. So depending on your investment palette, you want to see whether the business that you buy is highly scalable or not so scalable. And to put it on a simple layman term, right? Scalability just means how fast the company can grow, how much they can grow, what is their room for growth. So if, if we say something is very, very scalable, then there's a lot of room for growth. If we say something is not so scalable, then it has probably reached its limit, right? It cannot grow any further with ease. So something with very low scalability would be like a consultation service, right? Because... 
there's only so many hours you can sell compared to a product if you sell a program, right? You sell a course, you can keep selling, keep selling, keep selling, right? So that is something that is more layman, more basic. You probably can get a better idea, right? So something that is very scalable will be like a course. Something that is not so scalable will be consultation, right? But of course, there are 101 ways to scale a business and when you look at it across the board, right, across all the businesses that you can easily buy in the market, businesses that are highly scalable tend to be, you know, low capital and highly replicable, right? It means they're very asset light. They don't need you to pump in more money to grow the business, right? They can continue to sell and sell and sell and they tend to be things like software in the tech space or, you know, franchises. Yeah, and it makes them a lot easier to grow, right? Just sell more or keep opening another store because there is a system keeps opening, 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 opening. That is a franchise structure, right? So these are models that are more scalable. It has room for growth or at least easy, fast growth. And certain sectors that are what we call low scalability factor sectors are things that are very capital intensive. It takes a lot of money to build another production line or it takes a lot of money to build like a whole network structure like a you know, like 5G network, you know, and yeah, highly regulated space, they tend to have low scalability factor. There are things like utilities, you know, or telecommunications, you know, or your airlines, you, you know, these tends to take up a lot, a lot of capital to grow. And of course, there are those uh, in between like consumer goods. Yeah, some some additional capital to grow because you need to produce more, but they're not as much and not as you know regulated compared to things like utilities or airlines. So depending on what you're looking for, what is your investment palette, you got to visit this idea of scalability, right? So from my view, I'm predominantly a growth investor. So I want to go for companies that are higher you know, have higher scalability factors so that they can keep growing and their share price can reflect, you know, the business growth. Whereas others that are like more dividend-based, you know, investors, they, they prefer, you know, the low scalability factor, guys, because it also means that it's tougher to enter their space, right? Because capital intensive and highly regulated, you know, things like utilities, right? Your electricity, your water, guys, you know. Uh, and yeah, people do buy those things, right? And your railways. And yeah, it is what it is, right? They, there is a certain kind of investment for different people. So fundamentally, you need to know what you're looking for. You're looking for a dividend way of investing. Is it a dividend strategy? Or are we looking for like a growth strategy where we're trying to, you know, buy businesses that can keep growing or at least experience, you know, um, a fast, relatively fast kind of growth track? You know, and for me, I'm on the fast growth kind of track. So I want to look for companies that have high scalability factor. So of course, once again, you cannot learn everything at one go. And I know today is like very, very packed. There are a lot of things in today's episode because I just want to use this as a benchmark to kickstart the idea of qualitative understanding for different stocks. And it can be pretty intense. And if you have lasted all the way to where you are now, congrats. Keep learning, keep growing, and I'm going to sum up today's three points of for qualitative stock picking. These are some things that I look at, and number one is I want to make sure there is good management. And good management will be things like, are they founder-led? Do they have relevant experiences? And do they consistently meet their goals and their targets? Number two, I want businesses with strong business modes so that they can continue to grow and stay powerful You know, in whatever realm they are in. So things like pricing power, brand loyalty, economies of scale, network effect, big data are just some of these 
these business modes out there today. And of course, number three is I want to look for something that has a high scalability factor, right? Of course, depending on what is your investment strategy, you got to look at this scalability factor in its own view. So I hope you learn something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. I hope you share what you gain with people you love and I want to hear from you. Give me some questions and help me along with building a community of financially savvy coconuts. I hope together we can fulfill our curious minds and our desire for clarity. Join our community Telegram group, reach out to us on Facebook Instagram, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description below. If you enjoy the podcast and if you want to keep us growing and stay independent, do find us at Kofi at Kofi.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week, and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Test, test. Wow, wow. Today's episode, uh, wow, really... Pretty heavy, lah. Very heavy content, and I hope you you enjoyed it. I hope you learn, you know, because uh, truth be told, you cannot finish learning everything at one time. But these, uh, I decided to give you all these pointers at once so that you can go out and learn and you know go and gather your experiences. So when you come back, then you have any other questions, you can definitely just go to our community Telegram group and ask. We are all pretty avid you know, stock pickers. Like, we do enjoy. So there's a good bunch of us that enjoy picking stocks. Of course, uh, it depends on what you're comfortable with. There's no one way to invest. And yeah, I hope you learned something. So next week, next week, what are we going to do? Next week, we are going to talk a little bit about these financial habits that um, keep you very poor, right? And uh, it's not like poverty poor but you know some people they just always want to make money right always want to grow and be wealthy but they're always stuck they're always trapped in a certain cycle and they can never see their wealth breakthrough and I think there are certain habits that uh, are very common out there that we do practice and these habits are essentially keeping us relatively poor la. so we're going to talk about some of these habits to help you easily save up and be rich right and yeah we're going to talk about that next week and steer a little bit away from investment related content always invest invest a bit also so next week yeah we're going to talk about these three habits to help you become you know Richer, essentially. If you drop these three habits, right, you very easily one one year can save 10, 20,000, no problem. Right? So we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.